2: Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. Do you like fantasy football? Do you remember how annoying the commercials were for FanDuel and DraftKings? Remember, you couldn't get away from them. They were everywhere. They were omnipresent. Well, I was lucky enough to reconnect with one of my friends that I used to work with. I used to do a show at 120 Sports where we'd interview people. We had a partnership with Sports Illustrated, so we would interview a lot of the writers, and Albert Chen was one of those writers. I love Albert. I think he's one of the smartest people in our business, and he's written a book. So he he was, and he's an editor at Sports Illustrated. He's a senior editor there. He still writes, but he's one of the editors at SI, and he wrote a book about... DraftKings and FanDuel and I didn't know that they had this I figured that they were looking for the same market share but I didn't know that there was a great backstory and an incredible rivalry so the name of, of Albert's book if you want to pick it up is called Billion Dollar Fantasy and it really breaks down here's the, the subtitle so it's Billion Dollar Fantasy the high stakes game between FanDuel and DraftKings that upended sports in America by Albert Chen And I saw that Albert had this book out, and I was like, man, I want to talk with him about it because he's sharp, he knows his stuff, and I think this is a super interesting subject matter where you're talking about how daily fantasy kind of changed the world of sports and betting and everything else and advertising, quite honestly. So I sat down with Albert to talk about the book, to talk about the experience, to talk about what it's like to write a book. I think that you'll really enjoy it because, as I said, he is one of the really smart guys. So how did fantasy change the game? Check out what Albert and I have to say about this when we talk about his book, Billion Dollar Fantasy. Go buy his book. This is me and Albert Chen. What made you say, I want to do a book, first of all?
1: Well, I wanted to do a book because... you know, specifically on this subject, you know, certainly because of the, the news of 2015 when FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, exploded into this, you know, massive thing. You know, as you remember, going back to football season, you know, Trevor Noah at the Daily Show at the time put it, you, you can't turn on your TV set without seeing a zombie, a Kardashian or a fantasy football ad. And so it was just like fantasy football was suddenly in our living rooms every 90 seconds. And, you know, that was sort of like the big kind of picture reason why it was such a compelling story. Like, how did these companies, companies, you know, become such massive things? And, you know, to your question, why did I want to write a book? Well, I wanted to write a book and sort of you know, wait for the right subject. I mean, writing a book has been something I've been thinking about for a long time. But what I found was I was only going to write a book and pursue a, the story if I felt like there were going to be interesting characters behind that story. And it turns out that there are some some fascinating characters whose you know decisions in 2015, before that, and even, you know, after the scandal and all that stuff, really impacted a lot of things and really kind of tell the story of how we've gotten to 2019 now with uh, sports betting potentially being, you know, mainstream and legalized. Yeah. It's
2: pretty amazing how you're right that we were inundated with those ads and, and to some sports fans uh, uh, chagrin, like they didn't like it. You know, they didn't like that. They were being inundated with it. Why did, why did FanDuel and DraftKings feel that kind of a guerrilla marketing tactic was the smart way to produce their 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 pop into the world of of sports and fantasy.
1: Well, I think for them it was all about survival. I mean, they had created these companies with sort of an unproven product and it was really a matter of how are we going to win this market and maybe make a play at the larger fantasy sports market and you know, as we both know, fantasy sports is a massive thing in this country and You know, they were both sort of making a play at it, but also seeing an opportunity where, you know, the mentality was very much, you know, winner take all. Like, I mean, kill or be killed in terms of, you know, getting this product out there and winning the market. So the ads were really a result of, you know, this kind of mentality that we got to kill the other company and we got to outspend them. We got to acquire more customers than them. And so that was how the ad campaign really sort of came about was just like this mentality, which I document in the book of these groups of founders that, you know, decided that, okay, well, this other company is clearly going to raise a lot of money and spend a lot of it. We just kind of have to do the same.
2: When you decide to write a book, we know that you're a great writer from what you've accomplished in SI. But when you decide to write a book, I imagine it's a different type of writing. So how how did you have to change as a writer to produce a book?
1: Well, it's a completely different process. I mean, I'm still sort of kind of, you know, still in a bit of a haze from the, the process of the last few years because it, it, it's intense and it's, it's a completely different process from, you know, you and I both know, like in the sports world, it's about the next take and, you know you cover an event and you go at it i mean you you know you race to down to the clubhouse or and go back to the press box and it's all about sort of you know what the next headline is and then always sort of you know moving on to the next thing and and with you know a book, you have the luxury of sort of sitting on the sidelines a little bit in terms of a book that You know, with with the the nature of the subject matter that I was writing about where the stories of these companies were just constantly changing. So, you know, book, there is a certain expectation that, you know, you're going to delve in deeper than, you know, any article has ever done and you're going to take your time and put some care into a subject that, you know, a lot of people feel like they know DraftKings and FanDuel, but um, it really is about talking to a lot of different people and um, and getting sort of the story beneath kind of the headline. And, yeah, it's a very different process. I'm not sure I would recommend to anyone writing a book because it's gut-wrenching. Um, it puts a strain on everything. I mean, I worked – you know, I've been an editor here at Sports Illustrated and, you know, have a um, – full-time job in addition to you know putting this book together so it it was definitely a a very very intense last few years
2: well that was what i was going to ask you like your work-life balance like how how does that play out where you figure out how to to get enough time for research and interviews and rewrites while you're still editing uh a, a a one of the more important media companies in the world
1: yeah, it was totally crazy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was really, um, it's still, you know, sort of kind of dealing with some press for the book. It's still juggling a lot, so I'm kind of still going through it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, at Sports Illustrated, I'm, you know, managing a lot of writers, um, you know, really involved with the magazine and the website. And it's it's a lot of work. I mean, and um, finding time to write this, book and reporting it the way it deserved to be, you know, telling the story that in a way that really did it justice um, was something that was really important to me. So I I mean, I viewed that as a full time job. I mean, it kind of had two full time jobs. Plus, I got a five year old. So it was was very, um, it it was a pretty intense um, last few years. But you know, it it really is, you just got to make it work. And this was a story where I, I was able to take a few days in some cases a week off, to just sort of see where the story was going to lead because the events were changing. And it actually worked to my benefit when I stepped away from the story because because things were changing. And so I needed to set, take a step back and, and see what the bigger picture sort of narrative was. And so, yeah, it was, um, look, I mean, I'm on the subway on my phone, you know, Writing, you know, paragraphs and on. I have two iPads, was writing parts of the book on both iPads. You know, have my computer every weekend, was definitely chipping away at it. It's nights, nice, it's early mornings, it's just whenever I could find time. And that's not even talk about flying out to have one on one kind of deep conversations with all my subjects. Albert, are you a fantasy football player? I am, big time, yeah. Unfortunately, it's really kind of taken a hit this season because I did absolutely no preparation, which actually in retrospect may be better for my team. Um, but, you know, I mean, I've been playing for a long time. I actually was playing when I was, you know, 13 years old with my cousin, we kind of like made these custom leagues and really only keep in touch with a number of um, my high school friends just because of this fantasy football league that I've been in for a couple of decades. So, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, it's it's fun. It's, A great thing to have um and it's a great social thing for sure i mean the social aspect of fantasy football is what it's all about um so yeah absolutely Um, are you
2: oh yeah i i it's funny because this year we decided not to have a league at the radio station which is a little bit weird where we ordinarily will have a league and this year i think we're just doing confidence picks every week uh instead so it's I, I will say that it made my it changed the way that I viewed Red Zone like week one the Bears obviously played on Thursday night so it gave me a chance to to kind of just watch the entire league and with no stakes on the line it had been a while since I had watched the NFL with no stakes on the line and I found it to be really really awesome awesome uh to to just sit and be hmm. now i don't know if that's going to continue for for the rest of the <laughs> of the season uh if i might start jones in a little bit and but then i mean i have available fan duel and DraftKings if i want to do that but it was cool to kind of unplug and just go you don't you're not rooting for anybody you're just right. you're just going wherever the game goes and then you can figure out your your rooting interest in that instead of uh, worrying about whether or not any player in, in, in the league, whether Cam Newton scores on the goal line or gives that touch away to, to Christian McCaffrey.
1: Right. Funny you mentioned Cam because he's my quarterback and he's not off to a great start. So you're right. I mean, it's um, it's a different way to experience a game. And you're right. I mean, it's kind of like we've forgot forgotten sort of how to just like watch a game and just to enjoy, enjoy it for what it is. I mean, it's just like, you know, and having multiple fantasy teams, you're like, well, I'm rooting for this guy. And then sometimes you're, you should be rooting against him in actuality because of your team. So it's, it's, um it's, it's changed the way we watch games for sure. And I I do wonder if, you know, it will ever go back to that, but I'm not sure that it will. I feel like, you know, with the prevalence of gambling and now, you know, I can kind of, cross the George Washington Bridge here in New York City and take out my phone and and bet on FanDuel and DraftKings, Um, you know, bet on whether the Giants are going to win another game this season. And it's an entirely different way to to watch a game. But you're right, I kind of miss the days where you're just kind of sitting back and just enjoying the action for what it is. Albert, were you paying attention at
2: all to any of the stuff that was going on with the AAF? Because here's why I asked the question that they, they, they had some technology that I thought was kind of the, the next step in this thing where you're betting play to play on whether it's a run or a pass.
1: Oh yeah. I was absolutely paying a lot of attention to it. And I think that, you know what they were attempting to get at, I think is really sort of the future of all of this. Now, entities like the AAF and like startups and and companies that are trying to get into this. And it's like a mad rush to get into the gambling market. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult right now because it's such a slow moving process in the United States where, you know, New Jersey is, is, you know, it's a massive deal. I mean, I, you know, I'm in New Jersey every weekend and I mean, it's, um, there were months over the summer where, um, where the jersey handle was bigger than Nevada and, and Vegas. And, and so the, things are, the dynamics are shifting. But, like, I'm in Jersey being able to bet on who's going to win the next point in a U.S. Open match, tennis match. And, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the next level stuff that the AF was looking at and that I think DraftKings and, and FanDuel are, are certainly making a play with. And they have, you know, good products, and but there's just going to be more and more of it, but it's just this weird dynamic where you've know, you got places like in Jersey where it's you know, sports gambling on steroids, and then you got, you know across the George Washington Bridge back to New York where you can't bet on sports legally, and it's the case in the vast majority of states in the country right now.
2: Yeah, and, and Illinois is is starting to move in, in that direction as well, and we're trying to figure out how Chicago and whether there'll be a new casino. I've already seen Mike Ditka go to one casino in Indiana, and I think Brian Erlacher went to another casino in uh, western Michigan to open up their sports betting arms. Do you think that the folks, after talking to them at FanDuel and DraftKings, saw the the legislation aspect coming And that's why they were they were able to to find their way in the industry. Or was it happenstance that or were they a catalyst for for some of this legislation to to put it in a place where we would be able to bet on sports legally outside of New Jersey and Nevada?
1: Well, I think really it's all sort of intertwined. I mean, these companies sort of came along and really rose to prominence with the rise of mobile. And that was sort of the game changer. I mean, like FanDuel started in 09 and that was before everyone was just on their phones all the time. And they, so they really, you know, there was sort of a right place, right time element to all this. I mean, they were also able to raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And that was kind of a factor of sort of the capital markets and all that stuff. But there was, I mean, you hit on it really. It's just kind of like, this dynamic of people kind of like just getting on board with this. And, and you know, what I will say is the partnerships were really important with like FanDuel and the NBA and DraftKings and the NHL and Major League Baseball. And that just kind of like started to create an infrastructure where you could sort of see this happening. Now they weren't, you know, I saw their investor decks from the early years. I mean, it's not like they projected sports gambling to be where we're at in 2019 exactly, but there was always kind of like this thought, like, okay, well, maybe we're headed in that direction, but um, the, uh, where we're at now is maybe in some ways a little bit further along than what some people imagined. You know, the Supreme court had a big decision in 2018 that struck down the federal ban, but that only came about um, because the, the Supreme court decided to hear this case in late 2017. And that, in that moment, it was a, a surprise to the industry. So um, but you make an interesting point about them maybe being a catalyst, and I think there is some truth to that in that they, they pass a lot of bills for Daily Fantasy, which I think, looking back now, it's amazing sort of the inroads that they made in terms of you know, passing bills at such a short period of time. And I, I think it's all intertwined. It's all kind of part of this whole move that we're making it's like fantasy sports daily fantasy gambling it's all going to be sort of inter you know connected it's all sort of the same thing and that's sort of the future that we're headed for
2: I want you to be able to sell the book so I don't want you to give anything away that that you find to be precious and necessary in reading the book but what's what can you share about some of the most interesting details about FanDuel and DraftKings rise to prominence
1: Well, to me, I mean, the the heart of the story is really just kind of like it's like a great sports rivalry. I mean, it's like Yankees, Red Sox, you know, Federer, Nadal. I mean, these two, they were were really kind of smart and good at what they did, but they also didn't like each other. So things really – and, and, you know, the contrast that I paint is like two companies, not only was one from Boston, another from the U.K., run by five co-founders who didn't really know anything about fantasy sports. But their their um, approaches were completely different. I mean, DraftKings was all about sort of blowing up the industry and just like raising a lot of money and burning through it and acquiring customers. So it's like these two really unlikely startup stories, but unlikely for very, very different reasons. And I don't know that this is going to sell me books necessarily, but one of the main characters in the story, and, and in fact, one of the key people behind all the ads that we saw in in our living rooms in 2015 is a mother of three from scotland who you know not a fantasy sports player not even a sports fan but she was because she was a co-founder and the first chief marketing officer of fanduel she was very much behind the, you know their marketing efforts so it's kind of telling these untold stories and explaining how in the world did we get to a point where these companies were just like everywhere and then they were under fire with the law, and it's just like sort of getting into the colorful characters in the world, in in their world.
2: Well, Albert, I appreciate you uh, being on the pod and and talking about this. I'm I'm very happy for you, man, that that you got an opportunity to do something long form because I think that you're a tremendous writer, and I, and I'm I'm sure that the media tour for you will continue. I know you said that you wouldn't necessarily say to someone that you should go out and write a book, but I do wonder. Is there another book in you that you're thinking about now that you've got this one completed?
1: Yeah, you know, to kind of circle back to your initial question, you know, why did I decide to write a book? I mean, I it didn't really – it wasn't nearly necessarily something on my – some people have writing books as something on their, their bucket list, and – it's certainly something I'd thought about, but it, it was not something I felt like I had to do, it's something that I really wanted to do, but only if the topic was was um was the right one. And I, I think like I landed was pulled into this world and, and found like a great topic. So it really is, you know, at the end of the day, just like what is um a great story to tell. Um and I think my wife wants me to take at least um some a few months off to maybe ensure that she's not a single parent again for like a few years because it can be pretty straining when you know you're juggling um juggling a bunch of things but um it was um it was an incredible experience i mean incredible to get to know this world and the characters and um and it really is um if you've got any book ideas i will definitely um definitely take them <laughs>
2: No, I'm going to leave that to the professionals, man. I, I'm truly going to do that. Albert, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it.
1: This was awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better